Kia ora and welcome to the Female Career Podcast. My name's Anna Johnston and I work as a leadership and career coach for women. I'm looking forward to sharing with you an inspiring collection of career stories of a diverse range of women of Aotearoa New Zealand. I hope that by listening to these stories, you'll feel inspired in your own career. If you do enjoy the story, please head along to our website, femalecareer.com, where we have lots more stories of wonderful Kiwi women and their careers. We'd also love you to subscribe to our podcast so that you have all the episodes at your fingertips. And please do tell your friends and family about it too. For now, though, I hope you enjoy listening to this career story. I'm really looking forward to speaking today with Paula Tessarero. Paula has held the role of New Zealand's Disability Rights Commissioner since 2017. It's her role to protect and promote the rights of disabled New Zealanders. Paula started her career as a lawyer and was also a general manager at Statistics New Zealand and at the Ministry of Justice. She's also held a range of governance roles on various boards, including the Halberg Disability Sports Foundation and the Artificial Limb Service. Paula is also a Paralympian cycling gold medalist. She won gold and world record-breaking time at the Beijing Summer Paralympics in 2008 and the Women's 500-metre time trial, and also won two bronze medals there too. Her services to cycling were recognised when she was made a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit in 2009. Paula was recently announced chef de mission for the New Zealand Paralympic team heading to Tokyo in 2021. I'm really looking forward to hearing more about Paula and also about her career today. Kia ora, Paula, and thank you for joining me. Kia ora, nice to be here. Great. Let's get started. The first question that I like to ask people does take them a little way back to when you were maybe a child or a teenager. What careers were you thinking about or, or did you dream about? When I was a kid, I thought there were two career options in the world. One was being a lawyer and one was being a doctor. And those were the career choices that I thought were the total of career choices because I was really fascinated with a TV program called The People's Court. It was a bit like Judge Judy now, but it was um, uh, a different judge back when I was a, a child. And I was really fascinated with it. And I used to host The People's Court in our lounge with our dog and teddy bears and things being participants in the process. <laughs> and so my love for the law and, and, and interest in law really was peaked then. And then the other career that I thought was the only other one that existed was being a doctor and working in a hospital. And that was because I spent, you know, so much of my childhood in hospital. That's what I thought adults did. And so obviously, as I got a little bit older, I realized that there were far more career choices than those two. But my love and passion for the law never really went away. And so I was one of those people who, I guess, from quite an early age, knew that that's what I wanted to study. And that's what I did. And you did go on to study a law degree and became a lawyer. What was it really for you, apart from watching the People's Court as a kid, what was it about law that really appealed to you? I, I guess the notion of justice and all that it stands for and, you know, the idea that the law is there to protect everybody, the rule of law applies to everyone. And I really, you know, have always enjoyed writing and, and debating, you know, I debated through school and college 
and really enjoyed, I guess, that art of putting forward an argument and de- debating it. And those things have, you know, stood me really well throughout my career. So it was really those ongoing interests in presenting, you know, information and advocating and that sense of justice and rule of law that applies to everyone. Yeah, great. And as you said, I'm sure those skills have been massively useful for you throughout your career. Tell me a bit about your first job or, or jobs. Well, actually, the, my very first job, like many Kiwi kids, was a paper run. And I did that on my bike. And so I have these wonderful memories of zipping around on my bike, delivering newspapers. And that was from a, a, a pretty young age. Well, I've kind of had a number of roles really, because then uh, while I was at college, I was pretty keen to work part-time as you do. And that was in a supermarket. And actually I learned loads there, you know, about customer service and working as part of a team and all those things that, you know, are, are really grounding and really good for whatever you go into. And it was nice to have a bit of um, pocket money at, at college and have that sense of independence. And then I was really fortunate, actually, when I was at university, I had a job in Parliament doing research and speech writing and things. And that really opened my eyes to the world of political decision making and, and how things happen. And having studied law, it was great to then be in an environment where I could see how laws were made. And that was really instructive in terms of my understanding about the machinery of government and my interest in democracy and and how it all works. And then when I graduated, I spent time working for a, a big law firm. And again, that was instructive too. You know, that was the sort of part of the process of helping people interpret the law and and also contributing to lawmaking through submissions to select committees and, and things. And so all of those roles actually build on each other and and I think, you know, help refine your skills and, and sharpen your focus and, and interest areas. And I think having that kind of that combination of some private sector alongside the public sector experience within law is probably extremely valuable. What would you say were some of the highlights, but also the challenges of those first few career years? I think like many of us, I definitely had the imposter syndrome early on. I was always felt that, gosh, somebody's going to find out that I'm, I'm not really that good. And which is a real shame, actually, because I think it's something I know that many people experience. And it took a while to actually build that really authentic confidence in what I can do. And being able to, again, really authentically um, identify areas where I needed to develop. And I think having that much greater genuine sense of your strengths and areas to, to focus on helps ground you in your career. But certainly those early years where, you know, I didn't have uh, the confidence and definitely felt that, that real imposter syndrome sense that that many of us have. I think many, many of us do. I think particularly women have that imposter syndrome. But I like that take on it. That is actually, you know, it's it's also a chance to kind of, to, to reflect as well and see where can I continue to develop as well as, as thinking about what your strengths are. So there may occasionally be some, to be some good things that come from that. 
And then I was interested from, obviously, you, uh, you know, you were cycling as a kid, delivering the, the papers. You decided then, I'm guessing at some point in time, to really pursue, actually, I want to be an elite athlete and I want to try and get to the world champs, the Paralympics in terms of cycling. What prompted that decision? I don't know if there was a definite moment in time, but I know that riding my bike as a kid gave me a real sense of freedom and and control that I didn't have when I was walking and you know I could I was freer on a bike I could go fast whereas you know I couldn't really walk that fast as a child and and didn't have that same sort of didn't feel that same degree of mobility as I did on a bike and so I loved riding a bike for those reasons and always rode a bike and then when I was at university I started competing just for fun in duathlons a friend would do the running and I'd do the cycling and then people started saying why don't you enter some competitive events and I guess I reflect back on when I was a a small child and you know I always had this dream of being the fastest in the world on my bike and when I you know, found out about the Paralympics and realised that actually that was something I I could aspire to. That dream really, you know, I never really let go of that dream. And one of the things that was confronting really was the fact that for a lot of my early professional career, I really hid the fact that I was disabled and really didn't identify in that way at all. And at that point where I realized, actually, I really want to have a go at qualifying for the Paralympic Games, then I knew that I had to to come out, so to speak, and be prepared to publicly identify as being disabled. And while challenging at the time, it's absolutely the best thing I've ever done. And so once I did that and, you know, made that very deliberate decision to go to the Games and set some goals around that, then it was all go from there. And what was it like at the Paralympics? Oh, it's so hard to describe. It's such a wonderful event to be at. You walk around a Paralympic village and for the first time really ever, you're surrounded by by disabled people. And so non-disabled people are almost the sort of the the exception rather than generally in society when you walk around. And so that was really, really interesting and and something I I really loved. I felt like I was just in this place where everybody had a story and everybody had an impairment. Yeah, they had a story behind it and and had a challenge or big success behind that story. And so there's that side of it. And then the reality is you're at one of the largest sporting events in the world and it's an event which is the pinnacle of your career you know there's no higher you can go and and so the Paralympic Games are you know it, they mean the word Paralympic means parallel to the Olympic Games it, it's a it's one of the biggest events in the world and you realize you're there you've qualified and it's all down to your performance. I remember when I was living in London in 2012, we went to watch a bit of the, the London 2012 Paralympics. So what an amazing just atmosphere, you know, full house stadium, just seeing all these incredible athletes. As a spectator, it was a wonderful thing to, to go and enjoy. I can imagine as an athlete to be part of that would be, as you say, that kind of pinnacle of your career as an athlete. 
I was interested, you know, that sport is part of a New Zealand way of life and you've pursued that to absolutely an elite level. What has being an elite athlete given you in terms of your career? I think it's given me lots of things. I think definitely journey I just relayed about identifying as a disabled person, you know, enabled me to be much more authentic. And I think that authenticity goes beyond my cycling and has enabled me to you know, be in the role that I'm in now as a disability rights commissioner. There's no way that you could be in a role like this and not be really authentic about your identity. And so it's helped in that way. But I think there's also the very sort of general benefits of, of sport that help in your career. So things like being part of a team, taking advice from a range of people, that sense of really driving yourself, I guess, to be the best that you can possibly be, planning for your goals and and putting in place what you need to get there. You know, those are all things which are very easily transferable to any career. And so I think that, that sport and, you know, your, your other careers just, there's so much in common so much can be transferred from uh, sport into other careers absolutely and I, definitely I can see that kind of the sense of teamwork I like that perspective actually of the ability to take advice and to seek advice from a range of different people that absolutely is part of being an athlete whether it's your physio or your nutritionist or your coach or other athletes you know kind of but transferring that into the workplace as well but also that sense of goal setting yeah fantastic And then, Paulie, what was then your journey to being in the role that you're doing today of the Disability Rights Commissioner? So when I got towards the end of my competitive years in cycling, I knew then that I would always be part of the Paralympic family and I wanted to be able to really give something back and continue being part of the disability community in New Zealand. And So when I retired, I spent a number of years on different sport and disability boards. So organisations like the Helberg Foundation, Paralympics New Zealand, the New Zealand Artificial Limb Board, and that gave me governance experience, but it also gave me a greater insight into disability issues and inequities that exist and those that experience of governance coupled with my passion for law and policy which I had developed through senior management roles in the public service when this role came up it just ticked so many boxes and it is a role which enables me to give give the best I can um, give to a role which is really about protecting and promoting the rights of all disabled New Zealanders. And, you know, if you'd said to me all those years ago, would I be in this role? I would have said absolutely not because I I sort of used to hide disability and now I'm in this role, in a very public role, advocating for disabled people and in a role where I'm really trying to change attitudes so that young disabled people don't experience what I experienced as a kid and, and feel somehow that there's stigma attached to identifying as being disabled. So I think I'm in a really unique role and hopefully well-placed to help change attitude and really you know, help, along with others, change outcomes for disabled people. Wonderful. And what do you, what do you personally really love about your work now? 
I love the fact that no day is the same. In fact, no hour is the same, really. There's such a wide variety of things in the role, ranging from media, making submissions, meeting with ministers and other decision makers, working with the disability community up and down the country. You know, so the range of things you're doing every day is very different. And I love that, you know, I'm part of a community where... There's just so many fantastic people around the country who are all trying to make New Zealand a a better place for disabled people. And we have a long way to go, but there's some really good people working in in this area and it's just a real profit to work alongside them and do what I love doing, which is talking about those inequalities that exist and trying to help address them. Absolutely. And I like the way you talked about it, the kind of the dual role of protecting but also promoting the rights of disabled New Zealanders. And so it has that the equality justice element, but it also has more the idea of changing attitudes as well. And I'd love to hear, you know, there will have been some amazing moments in your career, not only this role, but also, of course, the cycling and the, the, those early career years. But equally, no career is easy uh, along the way. What of your toughest career challenges or, or moments? Yeah, you're right. You know, there's, there's always challenges and I think they all help us grow. I mean, a, a couple that spring to mind. You know, one, one was um, when I was a senior manager at the Ministry of Justice and post the Christchurch earthquakes, I was heavily involved in getting court services up and running post the earthquake. And just the logistical challenge and, and the leadership people challenge. I mean, they were incredible challenges and working in a very highly stressed environment at the time was challenging. And I guess it stands out as one of those defining moments because it it, it did teach me how to manage in, in a crisis and how to try and maintain really good relationships in those difficult times. And that, you know, stands you in good stead for any career. I think the other more recent one is I had the opportunity to be the acting chief human rights commissioner for about nine months in 2018. And that that arose from some difficulties that the commission had gone through. And there was an independent review, which was done shortly after I arrived. Actually, I hadn't been at the commission for very long. and, And then suddenly I was responsible for the commission for this, this length of time. And it was daunting in the sense that I, you know, was really responsible for trying to restore credibility in the commission and, you know, make sure we were delivering on our work. So it was challenging, but at the same time, I learned a lot about, you know, how to do those things and was able, I think, to help restore that that credibility and give people confidence in our work and confidence for the staff and and things. So it was challenging, but you know, I learned a lot about leadership and, and it was good to have that opportunity. And I think that is often the case, isn't it? Them are those challenging times are the ones where we learn a lot as well. And, you know, it strikes me whether it was the Ministry of Justice, as you said, with the earthquakes leading or trying to navigate the way through a crisis or stepping into unexpectedly into a, a big old leadership role. What helped you to cope with those challenging times? I think it's the probably the sense of trying to do what is right and having good people around you. And I think just, you know, the reassurance that 
you are doing the right thing and that you're focused on something which will inevitably really help people. And I think those are the things that kept me motivated. I mean, it was critically important that court services were up and running post the earthquake and and really important, you know, in the second example I used that the commission was carrying on its great work. Those are the things that, that keep me motivated. So keeping focused on that sense of what are we here for? What's the purpose? It kind of helped, helped to keep you going. And you have a busy life on top of a, a big role and the governance piece that you've had alongside that. How do you personally find balance between your working life and, and your non-working life? I'm not sure I ever really achieve a perfect balance. I think that... I, I love what I do and so often it, it doesn't, you know, feel like it doesn't feel like a, a, a huge work burden, so to speak. You know, I love what I do and so I draw energy from that. But my husband and I have three children between us and and so we've got a, a busy home life and, and lots going on. And, you know, I'm also the chef demission for the Tokyo Paralympic Games and I serve on the New Zealand Sports Tribunal and so those things keep my sort of interest in the sporting world and passion in the sporting world alive and alongside my job but you know having a really you know a busy and a young family I think every day you probably feel like you're not spending quite enough time on one of those things and I'm not sure if I ever feel a perfect sense of balance but I think it's about balance over a period of time. There's always going to be weeks where I'm traveling or I know that I'm not at home as much as I need to be. And then other weeks where I'll try and restore that balance a wee bit by picking up my son from school or something like that. You have to be quite deliberate, I think, about doing things like picking a child up from school or, you know, doing the things that you love doing for yourself. I still love riding my bike, you know, making sure that I've got those moments of being able to exercise and and get out on my bike helps my overall well-being and if my well-being is is good then you know I can do all those other things better. Really interesting for me to hear your take on that because that I'm not sure anybody achieves a perfect balance at any point in time though I think somehow we feel the pressure that we should do you know and there's lots of different parts and I liked that take on it that you had which was I'll take a more of a let me take a more medium view on it, which is actually that one week it might be a little bit out, but that's okay. Next week, it'll be a bit more in balance and actually been quite deliberate about taking some of those choices to bring things back into balance again. And But also the piece that you talked about around actually your own well-being, almost being the kind of the cornerstone of the balance because then it enables you to do your job and all the extra pieces around the sporting and be there for the kids and do everything else around that. And we talked a bit about your, your some of the challenging times. What have been some of your proudest career moments? I've really loved being in leadership roles where I've helped a person grow and develop and then see them go on to do great things. You know, I think that that's ultimately what leadership is about, growing and developing people. And so I've always loved it when I've seen people head off to new roles and, and doing really well. And I think, gosh, if I've just contributed in a small way to that, that's, you know, that's really great. Those people moments are, are often some of my proudest. I think in terms of my cycling career, then there's probably a couple of aspects to that. One, the medal itself, the gold medal was, you know, obviously I was, I was incredibly proud about that. But I think it, I'm even more proud really of, of the journey to the Games and my contribution post the Games. Being able to really authentically identify as a disabled person and the opportunities 
and perspectives that has brought, I think, is something I'm incredibly proud of because it's enabled me to do the things that I, I, you know, have since done in my life and to take on roles like the chef, the mission for the for the Tokyo Games. I make that that ongoing contribution. So those those are some of the things that I'm I'm really proud of. Wonderful. And I think so often, although you know the gold medals or the awards or whatever, people are like, yes, that's nice, but actually it's the as you say, maybe the journey up to or the legacy afterwards or the broader impact on people that actually some of more the the proudest moments. In terms of next career steps, so as you said, next year, who knows in terms of restrictions, hopefully all going well, the Paralympics will go ahead and you'll be in that role as the shift mission. And I believe you've also been reappointed for another five years as the as a disability rights commissioner. So kind of the medium term of your career is is looking you know, reasonably set out. Where do you see your broader career heading in the future? When I'm out on my bike and have those moments to do that sort of thinking, I ask that question myself, you know, what's next? What do you do after a role like this? And so I don't know specifically in terms of roles or organisations, but I know that I absolutely want to continue to play a role in human rights and in particular play a role in the disability sector. And, you know, who knows what form that might take, whether it's governance, whether it's leadership and management, I, I, or it's a public role, I, I don't know. But I'm, I'm very keen to make that sort of you know, disability focus, a strong focus for the rest of my career. And I think it's almost nice to have that kind of guiding thread, but where exactly it leads you, that's okay. There could be various options about how you could bring that to life. Yep, absolutely. And one last question. I'd love to hear what career advice you would have for, for other women. I think first and foremost, it would be around being authentic, bring your whole self to your role. I think often we hold bits of ourselves back and, you know, for me that was around disability and and actually, you know, I know that I'm better in my work and just in general in all my roles, being a mum, being a wife, serving on different, you know, boards and things, I know that I'm better through that authenticity. I think, you know, I always try and encourage people to do something that does align with your values and that's not always easy. Sometimes you, you can't do that or the, the choice is not is not there, but to the extent that you can influence that, then doing something that really aligns with your values, I think, gives you a deep sense of satisfaction. I think one of the things, you know, I've worked for some great leaders and and some not so great leaders, and I've learned so much from both, actually. And because I think you you learn some great things from those you, you really respect and admire, but you also do learn things from people who don't do things so well because you know that that doesn't align with your values or that behavior is not how you want to be so you you do learn in those situations and then I think you know my my advice is always around challenging yourself and I think there are certainly times I look back on my own career and I think gosh that's interesting I didn't go for that role or I didn't take that role or opportunity because maybe there was the imposter syndrome going on or, or something like that earlier on. And and I think actually just challenging yourself and having confidence is so important in, in your career. And I think, you know, your career is one part of your life and you spend a long time in, in your career and doing your job. And so I think really trying to do something that you love is, if you have that luxury, is great. Wonderful advice. 
And that piece around that, you know, you've gone on that personal journey around authenticity, and you said what it's brought to your work, but also your broader life around if you are able to finding roles that align with your values and that, that way you love what you're doing. I like the piece around learning from leaders actually when they're good and also when they're not so good because there are lessons that we can take out of that as well. And then that piece around challenging yourself. And although, as you said, there are times when maybe you didn't put your hand up, you know, I can also see there are many times in your career and your life where you have challenged yourself and had that courage to put your hand up and give it a go. Wonderful advice. Thank you. And thank you, Paula, so much for taking the time to share your journey with me today. I thoroughly enjoyed listening and really appreciate it. Thank you. It was great. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Female Career Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more inspiring stories of women of Aotearoa and their careers, subscribe to the Female Career Podcast via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you like to listen so that you never miss a story. You can also take a look at our website, thefemalecareer.com, where we feature the stories. And if you subscribe to our mailing list, you can have career advice and inspiration delivered directly to your inbox. Thanks for your support, and I look forward to you joining us again soon.